For decades, we've been content to ride on the back of mining and real estate booms and leaving our homegrown industries to wilt and Australian talent to pack up and leave. Not always the case. Australians were once great innovators and we can and should be again. Sitting in the studio with me is my old friend Richard Bronowski, a familiar name to many of you. He was a very senior Australian diplomat and last talked to me in 2020 about that colourful Australian character, E.W. Cole of uh, funny picture book fame. Richard's now turned his attention to the past, present and future of Australian manufacturing in his new book called Australia Can Make Things. A warm welcome back, Richard. Great to have you here in person. And uh, can Australia make things? Yes. We used to make them better than we do, Philip. This book was a a labour of love for my family, the coffee family. The four coffee brothers, my mother's brothers, started Kempthorne Lights in 1931, a most inauspicious year the height of the or the beginning of the, the height of the depression, and they had a factory in Netherley Street, Glen Iris. Then they moved to Little Lonsdale Street, then they moved to Collingwood, and finally they moved to Clayton. And it became, after a lot of war work, they did uh, the biggest lighting company in Australia, and they're exporting all over the world. Well and affectionately. Yes, yes. But, but I will get stuck into the Kempthorne in a minute, but. Uh, Can you kick us off by telling us how and when Australia started to make stuff? Sure. The first fleet, really uh, without the knowledge or the care of of Whitehall, had with them a number of artisans, uh, bricklayers, cement makers, uh, beer makers, sugar refiners and so on. And they... That's all we had. We didn't uh, reach out, the whites didn't reach out to the Aboriginal communities who, who could have kept them from poverty and starvation. And they, they pretty well starved until the second and third feet claimed, but they began to make things. And, you know, in that they first... They had to make they things. They had to, to survive, Philip. And agricultural machinery, John Ridley built a stripper in 1844. Hugh Victor Mackay's Sunshine Harvester... Was, was invented, Bower and Smith stump jump plough. One of our all-time great inventions. That's right. So by 1861, yes. this is astonishing given the population at the time, yeah, yeah. 32,000 blokes, and they were blokes, worked in factories. They did indeed. Um, and they were doing all sorts of things. And lo- lots of inventions. I mean, it was James Harrison who invented the way to freeze meat so it went to Britain without spoiling. At first, it was just the outside that was frozen, but later on he invented a freezer that, that met, it added enormously to our, uh, to, to, to our um, export trade. When did tariffs kick in? First World War, protection, uh, stopping uh, American car bodies from coming into Australia. Uh, we began a... Light Industries, we were making, we were making 303 Lee Enfield rifles. We were making all sorts of military equipment. After that, I think it was the, the time of protection kicked in. 
And during the Depression, the same thing was happening. We were protecting Australian industries against more efficient European ones. Back to the family business of uh, Kempthorne, it boomed. What happened? What went wrong? After the end of the war, they built the factory at Clayton, but they decided they needed to have an affluent, uh, well-known director, and they got Andrew Grimwade from Melbourne to become their director. Is that the Andrew Grimwade who sometime later was involved in the longest-running criminal case in Victorian <laughs> history? He was, but I'm not going to go into that because that had nothing to do with Kempthorne. <laughs> the fact was Kempthorne overextended itself. It was making lights. It was selling them around Asia and, and further afield. But then Grimwade decided he wanted to start a, a, a plant hire business and he bought a whole lot of properties up in Maroochydore and he was, he was speculating in building uh, holiday apartments. That all fell apart. You had the oil shock in 19, the Yom Kippur War, the oil shock, then the Shah fell and the Iranians, their 8 million barrels a day stopped too. Uh, we had a severe recession in the early 80s and you remember that Bob Hawke uh, got the unions together with the manufacturers in 1983 and they had a social contract so that things quietened down and factories continued to work. But the ineluctable truth, Philip, was that we couldn't... Grant Kempthorne and, and uh, Simpson, I use these two case studies in my book, could not compete with Asian imports. They were making better stuff cheaper. And, of course, Simpson was very big in white goods. Yes, indeed. They, they the, made the most beautiful refrigerators. They had colourful doors on their fridges. They had mo- listen models draped over the refrigerators and the, the stovetops. You can hardly say a stovetops is, <laughs> is sexy, but they certainly tried to make it so. But Simpson had the same problem. They couldn't compete with Asian imports. Now, under Hawke... In the 80s, yes. there was freer trade, smaller government, yeah. deregulation, and that, of course, changed the face of the economy, not necessarily for the better. Not really, uh, but we're continuing on with, with manufacturing and there, there was a, a quiet period when the unions were not quite so aggressive and the, the managers were, were working with them. Um, and that, that worked pretty well, uh, but... Always we had this, uh, this thing on the back, the, the, the uh, Asian competition. Kempthorne went up to Japan. They started a Japanese company. They had a Japanese board, but none of the brothers spoke Japanese, so they really didn't know what the Japanese were saying and thinking. The Japanese were bringing in many television sets to Australia under the name Kempthorne, but it didn't work. It, it fell apart. Going back to uh, Simpsons of loving memory, in my career as a marketing advisor, I came up with this dreadful slogan when I think of it, guess whose mum's got a whirlpool? (laughs) Now, that was Mally's whirlpool, and they, like Simpson, were very big in manufacturing. Pretty good stuff. Very solid, I remember. But uh, in 1960, there there were 16 refrigerator manufacturers, 16 of washing machines, 10 of air conditioners. Now... None. Correct. There are none, Philip. Moxon Simpson, the third uh, general manager, owner of of Simpson, he was a a Latin scholar 
I, I met him and I was in the, the Pickwick Club in, in Adelaide with him and he was asked to uh, translate a sign on the desk of one of his managers and it said testicular coptis, sequentur corda menesque, which means uh, grab them by the balls and their, their hearts and minds will follow, which became a much more sinister saying in Vietnam. But at that time it was something that that reflected the, the gung-ho na- nature of the uh, of the establishment. Now, I don't like being a doubting Thomas, but I do have a memory of the time when business was booming for manufacturers. Yes. And that is, while many of the appliances, for example, were built very solidly, they were not very stylishly designed. Better design was coming from Europe. I think that was also and, a and, threat. And from Japan. I mean... Simpson tried to make small uh, washing machines and stovetops for apartments, but the Japanese could do it much better. And they were bringing them in and they were, they were really uh, trumping uh, Simpson all the time. What happened in the transport industries? Let's, let's remember that. Motor cars, we built them in Australia. I mean, uh, one of the first cars was built by a fellow called Herbert uh, Harley uh, Tarrant his petrol driven car, but that was that was a duchess by the T model Fords that kept that came came in. You could have any colour you wanted so long as it was black. Yes. Um, uh, the Herbert Thompson's Phaeton steam car that was uh, uh, competing against the Stanley steamer. Of course, it didn't work. It was too expensive to run it and too heavy. But then aeroplanes. I mean, Lawrence Hargrave, his box kite, which he he invented in eighteen ninety three, was the first non powered flight probably ever. In the world. In yeah, the world. Yeah. And, and he followed very closely. Just up the road from that, where we're sitting. That's right. <laughs> Indeed it was, yes. And then, of course, Harry Hawker was a, a, a chap who had a, a low start in life in Australia. He went to Britain. He brought back, uh, before the First World War, a sop with Taploid aircraft. And he took Edward Cole's daughter and various other people on flights around Melbourne. He later went back to Britain because he couldn't get a, a, a substantial enterprise going in Australia. And that's where Hawker aircraft was were built in the Hawker Hurricane, which along with the Spitfire saved Britain in the 1940s from the, from the Germans. Let's stick with cars for a minute. Sure. For a long time, people will remember that Australia was divided between Holden and Ford as emphatically as it was between Catholic and Protestant. Even more so. And then suddenly they went. And wasn't that a shame? And didn't the Liberal Party really kick them out. They had no encouragement from the Libs to stay. Toyota was the last one to go. But of course, all our four, all our companies, we, we proudly talked about Australia's own car. It wasn't our car, the Holden. It was designed and built in America. It was subject to the boardroom in Detroit. And when Detroit decided the market in Australia was too small, they pulled it out. And they had no encouragement from the government to keep it going. It, we have to also bring John Button into this, who yes. was uh, Labor's industry minister and, yeah. a, and an old mate of mine. He didn't help, in a sense, by reducing tariffs on imported vehicles. That's right. And John Button also had a very severe way of saying motor cars had to improve every year. And he, he, he allowed himself to be uh, duchessed by the companies who added a strip of chrome or a fin to say this is a new model, but in fact it had nothing to do with the basic design. 
You say our future is not confined to being a mine or a quarry. What are the sectors where Australian manufacturing has a chance to shine? Education, medicine, hospitality, uh, pharmaceuticals, value adding to minerals, and I don't mean uh, refining uranium to produce uh, weapons-grade material, but there's a, there's a plan. I mean, the National Reconstruction Fund of Jim Chalmers is really something that's worth considering. Morrison had a plan too, Philip, but when you look at Morrison's and compared with, with what the, the Labor Party are doing today, it was a bit ephemeral. It was a bit like uh, it wasn't really achieving anything and it didn't have realistic goals. But it seems to me that Chalmers and the Labor Company, <laughs> the Labor Party, are really beginning to develop something. They're investing uh, $30 billion into this enterprise. The, the details haven't come out yet. Uh, we I, have to I would to have see. thought we've got a, a future in energy innovation. Yes, and there's even muttering about a space program. There is a space program in Adelaide. It's been set up. Um, energy, we've been making parts of uh, windmills, but not the whole lot, not the whole caboodle. We could make submarines. <laughs> we have. <laughs> but that's an interesting thing, isn't it? We have to wait to see what happens in March about the nuclear-propelled submarines and the whole of AUKUS in that, in that regard. I, I think we're heading for a very dramatic... Uh, time. You're, you're lapsing into your diplomatic role there. So there are some hints of change from the new government. Hints is all you could say at this stage. I must say that Jim Chalmers' speech the other day was slapped down by the, the right-wing hacks in the Murdoch press and elsewhere. But in fact, he is, as John Hewson, he praised it. He said, this is a good thing. Let's see what he comes up with. It's good to see a treasurer taking time out to write a paper about having uh, having free enterprise with some government control. And the neoconservatives say, no, we don't want that. But in fact, that's what Labor are trying to do. Let's see if it works. Richard Bronowski, AO, I should have mentioned, former, very senior Australian diplomat and writer, and his newie is called Australia Can Make Things, the challenge of manufacturing in Australia. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.